Hello, everyone. Chris Martinson of Peak Prosperity here. Very, very special guest today. We have John Lavelle, the CEO of the Warrior Poet Society. He is a homesteader. He is a firearms trainer. He is a public speaker. He's a very successful businessman, and he is an author. He is the author of this book, which we are going to be discussing today, uh, The Warrior Poet Way, A Guide to Living Free and Dying Well. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, I've been reading this, and it's just a fabulous book. And he's got a big YouTube channel, but he's also got a show now, the John Lavelle Show, showing up um, at a URL, which we will supply to you down below. So, John, thank you so much for being here today. Can't wait to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's start here. Um, first video I could find of yours seven years ago, um, five shots in under two seconds. Uh, that's where you started. Uh, now you know, um, uh, 1.39 million followers there on, on YouTube. If we're just looking at that, I know that's not the be all end all, but I'm interested in your progression. Where did you start? Where do you see yourself now? And um, what sort of, uh, obviously a lot of things have, have come to fruition along the way. I, I'm really interested in your arc here. Sure. So I started off more in the tactical training space. I was a former door kicker and action guy abroad uh, for military stuff. And uh, jumped around a bunch in my life. I was a foreign Christian missionary for a number of years. I've been in business. I went back to school and got a degree that's not worth much anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, went into the tactical training space and I've been there for a very long time now. And so started off doing just some simple shoot 'em up videos and then just having discussions, ha having talks, just monologues in front of a camera because I was on this journey uh, this warrior poet journey where I wanted to be fully a lion and fully a lamb. I wanted to be a warrior and a poet, a warrior that could be defensive and strong and brave, courageous, long suffering, all the attributes of a warrior. But I also wanted the attributes of a poet so that I'd be a better husband, struggling to be a better husband and a father and a Christian, a better man in general. And so uh, I felt the warrior archetype was wholly inadequate to living a successful life. And so is the poet aspect for that matter. And I believe men are built to be both warrior and poet. And if you're not fully both, you are deficient as a man. And so that was really uh, kind of my journey starting off is, is, yeah, that warrior poet journey. And so I would vacillate on all kinds of different subjects of freedom and personal responsibility and, um, yeah, family things. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just, I mean, that I, my speech starts slowing down because I'm like, man, it, it really is just a really wide array of different subject matter. So yeah, there's my well, arc. I just talk about what I'm passionate about. I love that. Uh, and, and, um, I'd rather talk to somebody who's passionate about something than not. And I don't care what your passion is, even if it's not mine. Um, but I, I'm just fully on fire in my own mission in life. And, and I'm very blessed because I get to, to take what is authentically my gifts and I get to bring them to the world. But my hmm. progression mirrors yours a lot. I started out way in my head, PhD, all this stuff. I'm like, you know, I, hmm. I became captain of industry, all that stuff. But I had a moment where I had a, a wake up call in life. Right. And hmm. all of a sudden that's when my heart opened. And so that I had to wrestle for a number of years, but I think, you know, my language for that was Jungian archetypes, the, the sovereign and the lover, right? That, mm, that there yeah. needs, you need to be both. And that wisdom comes with a strength. And sometimes the sovereign has to make decisions that are hard, unpleasant, difficult, 
um, welcome right. to being a CEO, right? So right. I'm interested in that in that part because, you know, that angle of yours, I'm, you probably didn't start with that architect. Well, maybe you did, but when you were in the second battalion, Rangers, was it? Yes, sir. Um, when you started on that and you were kicking doors, uh, was was this part of your landscape or how did this come about? It it was. I didn't have the words, but the concepts mm. were absolutely there. And so I was a army ranger, but I had recently, at the very beginning of entering the military and making it in a ranger battalion, I got a conversion to Christianity that just blew me away because I didn't see that coming and I wasn't looking for that. Uh-huh. Uh, but Jesus rescued me and converted me. And so I was picked up all of the sudden and put on this completely different path that changed everything about who I was. And so, no, even while I'm kicking indoors and hunting terrorists, I'm leading Bible studies and I'm growing in the word and I am trying uh, to become a follower of Jesus. And so, no, that that was very much on my mind even then. So uh, it's it's. Yeah, I've been a journey of a couple decades now. Yeah, well, I got to confess, I, I am really enjoying this book. And of course, this is cutting against the whole idea of toxic masculinity and all of this and that, because you're arguing in here right right from the get-go that men in particular, if they do not find a way to authentically challenge that part of themselves that they're born with, that they're living a life that's that's beneath them, that that you're right. asking people to really strive for something here. So before I put words in your mouth, who'd you write this book for? Uh, myself, uh, for other men, <laughs> for their wives, no. for their kids. It's for it's for everyone. I mean, if if a man becomes fully alive and they're able to stave off all the lies, the deceits, the manipulations uh, that is happening in the cultural scene, and guys, it would be who of you to do exactly the opposite of whatever culture is telling you, whatever they're impressing upon you, what a man should be, probably do the opposite and you will do very well. So I'm setting all kinds of dumpsters on fire in that book. I just don't care anymore. I'm tired of being bullied around. I'm tired of lies being declared in the public square. And so I'm going to declare very loudly uh, the ancient paths that men need to continue to trod. And there's some newer stuff that can be helpful as well. But uh, be leery. A lot of the progressivism has progressed in the wrong direction and it's literally killing us. And so uh, in the book, I want to lead men into a better way. And so I detail that uh, immensely. Now, a lot of wives are buying it for their husbands, realizing, man, if, if the husband becomes more warrior poetish, he's a lot nicer to be married to. He's a better defender. He's a better provider. He's a better lover. Uh, he is kinder. He is more sacrificial. And then so wives are doing that and the kids will immediately feel the impact. I have a lot to say about raising little poets. And man, if you, um, we have fallen upon through good wisdom of other people and through just blessed wisdom uh, that we've gotten here and there, we've stumbled upon some really cool stuff that allow our kids to really thrive. So everyone immediately wants to compliment us on our kids. I'm like, how do you do that? And I'm like, I am glad you asked because the, what we're doing is building so many good memories with our kids as they're flourishing. Now they're still nine and 11. So, you know, you got some more time. Uh, so the, the jury is not out on how we're doing, but man, I'm cautiously optimistic that we got some stuff that really makes uh, seems to be very well taken with our kids and it's working wonders and we love being around them and they love us. So anyway. 
Yeah. Well, fantastic story. We, we homeschooled all three of our kids are grownups now. Um, mm-hmm. and everybody who meets him is just like, wow, what is this human stares me in the eye, you know, shakes a firm handshake, knows who they are. But, um, the number one thing that I, I believe in life is that in that schools are doing public schools are doing a, a horrible job at this. The, well, maybe they're doing a great job at this. The one thing you can't do with people is ruin their sense of curiosity because that's mm. where all of that's where learning comes from. Right. It's it's yeah. like this whole to be alive is an amazing gift. And I feel like one of the great sins of our culture, if sinning by missing the mark, right, is they ask people not to live. Right. And so this yeah. becomes an invitation. It's like, guys, step up and live. And, and the last thing here and dying well. Right. So we all die. The question isn't, is it going to happen? The question is, what terms is that under it? And have you really lived? And I think that's an age old question. What did Ben Franklin say? He said, most people die at the age of 25, but aren't buried till they're 75. So it, it's yeah, been with strong. us for a long time. So this is an invitation then uh, to me when I was reading it, it was an invitation to say, Hey, prod, prod. Are, are you really, are you really alive here? You know, is that, that's great. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I cut you off. I was, I was really, I was nodding. I'm like, yes, Chris, that's, that's exactly right. The goal here is not to live as long as humanly possible while avoiding pain and being comfortable. Even if you accomplish that you're comfortable all the time, you avoid pain and you live to a very, very old age. You may look back on your life and say, it didn't count for anything. What did I do with all my time? Will anyone even weep when I'm gone? Did I make any mark? Did I live for something beyond myself? And oftentimes if you live to maximize comfort and minimize pain, uh, the answer is going to be no. And so the goal isn't to live as long as humanly possible and comfort is to make your life count for something. So whether I I died tomorrow or I die in 60 years, uh, the point is to live well while we're on earth and then to die well. Uh, make your life and death count for something. And that doesn't happen automatically. You got to open your eyes. You got to do this good philosophy and theology well. Otherwise, we live reactionary lives. We just fall into these ruts of status quo. And before you know it, you're going to blink, look up in 30 years and realize I have wasted my life utterly. And I don't want that for anyone. I agree. And and that's something that uh, I would consider my top of mission for me is I'm just trying to wake people up and, and, mm. and the times are helping with that because now we live in these times where if you aren't asking some really fundamental existential questions about who you are and who you are going to be and how you're going to show up. And I want to get to that in a second. You're kind of missing the mark here, but I feel like my, my culture says, Hey, you feel uncomfortable. We got a drug for that. You know, I'm five minutes from any alcohol in any direction. You know, we got SSRIs. We're going to do all that. Oh, microaggressions. You know what we're going to have to do here? We're going to have to make sure that you're responsible for my potential reactions to things because we're going to make people not react or, or have experienced any discomfort. And I'm like, that's asking people not to live because that's how right. I know where my edges are and that's how I grow. Growing is painful, but let's redefine pain. It's it's like the pain at the gym. It's like it's a, it's if once you reframe it, you're like, this is how I get better, right? Fail right. early, fail off, and fail fast. That's how you become a successful business person, right? Right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so let's dive into our our culture. How are you reading the signs lately? A lot has changed since COVID. Any new epiphanies for you in the last two three years, where you where you've said, "Okay, this is <laughs> this is different than I thought it was going to be." You know? Any yeah. Surprises? 
So what I, I want to avoid is dehumanizing my opponent and my enemy, my opposition. It, it, it's a, a classical logical blunder. Like it, it, in you know, there's bad propaganda. There's kind of some patriotic, goodish propaganda as well that enables a country to rally against uh, maybe an evil power. But you can see it play out in every culture over all time and every war. Uh, you are the bright light and they are the and I, I want to avoid that. It's like kind of even when we we're in the global war on terrorism, you know, you think about, OK, that there's the Islam and the, the, the Muslim and these are bad people. And then you get over and you're like. I make friends with villagers and play with their kids. And then you got interpreters and we make friends and you're like, Oh no, there's some crap humans inside there that are terrorists and they want to kill us. And so we, you know, we kill them back. Uh, but then there's a bunch of Muslims that hate Al Qaeda and hate Taliban and they desperately want America to save us. So no matter where you go, it, it's not like this whole people is bad necessarily, or actually I think all people everywhere for all time are bad and only one is good and that's Jesus. I think that's better theology. But regardless, I'm saying I don't want to castigate my enemy as, as evil or something else like that so I can be the bright light. And uh, I think in politics, we do this as well. And I'm not political, but since politics swallowed up every single uh, other piece of our culture, then I'm kind of like, yeah. you can't talk about anything without it being political. So I'm now kind of like full bore, whatever. All right, here we go. Republicans and Democrats will both demonize the other. And so I want desperately to avoid doing that. I'd like to be able to magnanimously meet them in the middle and say, no, 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 let's just have a discussion. But I'm having a real hard time maintaining that equitable point of view, because the more I look at it, the more it just looks like good versus pure evil. It looks so it, that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like politics anymore. It's literally just a fight for good and evil. Sound of Freedom just came out and we found out, oh, well, sex slavery is worse now. We have more human slaves alive right now than at any time in the past. And so we think of ourselves as really, you know, we've evolved. We're so much better. I'm like, no, we're not. And the biggest consumer of sexual slavery around the world, maybe the US, and uh, or aborting babies, a million a year. And there's all this, um, everything I, I call good, they call evil. Everything I, uh, you know, they call evil, I, I call good. And so it's like, holy, not, I mean, by and large, I'm speaking in generalities. I'm like, what do I do with that? It just looks like, yeah, it looks evil. It, it, butchering up kids. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, that's my epiphany is it's hard for me to look at culture and find anything worth redeeming uh, or anything redeemable uh, is better said. Real hard for me to look at the culture and want to do anything except uh, rescue as many as you can and then jump out and spend time away from the culture. I'm like, we just moved out to a farm. Uh, we exited suburbia a couple years back because we just saw the writing on the wall and thought, man, government schools and all these cities and all this craziness, I want to escape. I want a refuge for my family. Now we've got all these families and friends and church and we're doing life together. And it's an entirely different alternate universe because more and more it feels like not only do I look at uh, those who are ideologically against me and feel like, man, th that stuff really, that stuff really, really looks evil. It just looks like pure evil, uh, but it mm -hmm. looks like we don't even share a reality anymore we don't even share a way of thinking uh and so 
public discourse is, of course, broken down. They just scream us out. They're not listening. And then we're censored on big tech. And so um, it, it all looks bleak. Uh, the more I look at culture, the more I love family, friends, uh, Jesus, old books, and being outside. <laughs> well, we are so aligned on that. I've, for years, a pox on both houses was as political as I could get. Um, and I'm still not political in nature. But I, I've always thought that, that the message I have, which is fundamentally one of like, look, we've got some really big structural issues going on here in this country, right? Economically, we're spending ourselves into oblivion. Um, you know, we're farming in ways that fundamentally turn beautiful soil and turn it into like lifeless dirt. We're killing our waterways. I'm old enough, John, to remember what mm. the rivers and insects and fish and bird populations used to look like, right? Mm. So I have like, this has gone down on my watch and I'm watching all this going, wow, we got to make some changes and we can't even have the conversation. Wow. And the conversation people want to have is, hey, when when's the right age to cut the breasts off of girls? And I'm like, that's not a conversation. That that's right. there's no Venn diagram overlap here in this story, right? right? Yep. So so I I feel that same breakdown, which is which is why, you know, I'm talking to you from my home studio, a couple hundred acres here, farm, been doing this for a while. My followers, same thing, like we were going to be resilient. But resilience isn't just beans in, in the basement. It's how deep is your social network? Do you have financial multiple streams of income? Um, what's your emotional and spiritual depth and resilience, right? Those are probably the most important in this story. Um, what are your skills? What, you know, what knowledge do you actually have that translates into mastery, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, but all of those, I think, speak to the same stuff that you're getting at here, just coming from a, uh, just, you know, I love in science, consilience. Two people think about something and they land in the same spot. But, you know, you can come from entirely different directions, but it says it's time for us to understand what's actually happening. Good versus evil is as good a framing as I've seen. So the question becomes, who are you going to be in these times? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, hard to do anything with that except just say, yeah, I, I heartily agree. <laughs> All right. Well, so I'm interested, though. How, how do you how would you let, let's say raw recruit? How would you go about? Um, let's just, I've just woken up. Um, how would I go about finding my edges so that I can begin to find out who I am in the warrior poet way? What's the process? Sure. So are you asking as just some 18 year old malleable piece of clay existentially saying I am, or, or, or you, Chris sure. have start joined our phone. No, yeah. That, that seems a little bit more fun because I'm like, uh, otherwise I got to assume all kinds of, uh, uh, yeah. different things. <laughs> so the book is broken up into 10 different chapters. There is um, an intro uh, as well and uh, an outro. And then we have practicums all throughout. So after each chapter, you have something that you can do. You know, it, it's not just um, in your head. Let, let's go ahead and rubber meets the road. Let's do something about it. Let's put this into action. And so the practicums are there and the book is divided up kind of into a warrior section and then uh, also more of a poet section. And the idea is, is men will naturally fall into one camp more than the other. And so the idea is if you're a little bit more warrior, you're, you're strong on boldness and saying what you think and not, uh, cowering from a fight and you're not going to self-censor and you're in the cultural war of ideas or you're in a physical war of, yeah, you're doing police work or military or EMS, something like that of like, you're, you're a little bit more in that warrior camera, jujitsu, what have you. 
warrior. Well, you need to develop this poet stuff or your life is going to be a wreck and you're not going to uh, have the impact that you would like and vice versa. Some of the poets out there, I'm a lover, not a fighter. No, no, real love protects. You should be a fighter too. Even if you don't like it, even if you just show, uh, even if that's a struggle for you, uh, because love protects, that's something that we as men should be rising to as well. And there's all kinds of ways that well, sweetie pie poets need to develop a backbone and, and grow some fangs here so that they will be able to speak the truth and not self-censor and to be able to be courageous in all the different areas of life. And so what I want to do is call that out of them. So first off is to kind of assess where a person is. Are you a little bit more warrior or a little bit more poet? I don't really care. Uh, personally, people tend to gravitate more toward a warrior uh, archetype when I think the poet aspect is more important. It's kind of like if you used as a way of thinking the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment is filled with all the most important stuff. It is the freedom of speech and assembly. Hey, let's hang out together and let's talk about ideas and let's worship God and we'll have the freedom of religion to do that and the freedom of the press and the government can't stop us from doing any of that stuff. They can't mm -hmm. control the press or lock you down or censor you or all the things that they're currently doing. And then the second amendment is around the right to bear arms to guarantee that you have a matter of recourse against a tyrannical government. And so the second amendment's like, hey, guys, be well armed because you don't want the government to have a monopoly on violence. Now, the Second Amendment serves the First Amendment. You have it, not because protection is an end of itself, but because it's a means to end. And the end is more in the First Amendment. That's where all the good stuff is. That's the poet stuff. And so I think the poet piece is more important, though you can't have the poet piece without the warrior uh, gaining and guarding freedom itself. And so all of it's important, but I would just say, guys, you're going to need to self-assess and then grow. And we do that how? Uh, well, one thing is knowing is half the battle. We're going to need to feel like, all right, where am I strong? And now where am I weak? Uh, where am I failing to rise up as a man in the protector or the provider category or to be able to that shepherd uh, of my own family and those uh, around me? Where can I help my fellow man in the cultural battle? Uh, how can I be a better defender of people since evil is afoot in the world? What, what can I do about that? And so, uh, and where's my quest for meaning and purpose? Uh, where is my moral center actually anchored? And so the book is very, very broad, uh, but would probably be more helpful than be like, hey, in a hundred words or less, here's the turnkey meaning of life for everyone. It's more helpful to to see, okay, Eyeball to eyeball, who's the guy sitting in front of me? We're going to have strengths. All right, buzz through this stuff. Now let's get to the stuff that we really need to work on. And so uh, the book is is really helpful in that aspect. Is a bit of a buffet. Everyone's going to get uh, some some stuff from it. Yeah, I, I see this in, in some ways uh, speaking, maybe especially to young men uh, who are a little bit lost. Maybe the same movement that we see Jordan Peterson, right? He speaks very bluntly about the importance of dressing well, being your best self, stepping up into manhood, you know, all these things that fundamentally I think our culture is asking, well, it's not asking, it's demanding that women be more like men, men be more like women, which in the framing I have, that puts us both into neutral corners. There's no polarity. There's no life there. Right. And right. I don't actually care what genders in what corner, but if, if neither of us 
like if there's no polarity, life isn't fun anymore, you know? So, so that, so that, that, uh, young men in particular today, I feel are demonized heavily. They're told that, that by virtue of maybe their skin color or their chromosome pattern, that they are bad people like this is, that's a tough message. I don't know how I would have reacted to that as an 18, 19, 20 year old, except for badly. Cause I'm, I yeah. don't do well under those circumstances. So are, are you finding that, that you have young men showing up kind of going, dude, why, why isn't, why didn't my dad tell me about this? Yeah. I mean, we got 70 year olds that, uh, that are in our movement lockstep and passionately warrior poets. And we got 17 year olds. Uh, we got everybody in between because all men feel this uh, viscerally. Yeah. We're just at different points on our warrior poet way, but we're still struggling with the same stuff under the hood. And so I, I, I mean, most of our movements, probably 30 to 40 year old men, but man, we got mm -hmm. a ton of young people. We got a ton of um, aging people. And, uh, yeah, we're all on the same journey and, uh, you know, we need each other. I, I think the older guys can benefit with the ambition, uh, and the passion of youth. Uh, there's a lot of fun and joy to be had for older folks being around younger people as obnoxious yeah. as they are. And, and younger people absolutely need elderly people as well, because elderly people, that's where all the wisdom is. They're the ones that know everything. You're about to just make the same mistakes that they've made their whole lives. And you don't want to learn from experience. Experience is too painful and slow of a teacher. Learn from someone else's experience. And that's called wisdom. And now you could be mm -hmm. walking around. Aging doesn't necessarily mean that you are growing in wisdom. You can have life happen to you and you don't learn your mistakes and you just keep repeating the same ones over and over. Uh, age doesn't necessarily translate, but make no mistake that the elderly folks, that's that's usually where well wisdom hangs out. They've they've had all the wrong stuff happen. So uh, I love being able in our community to be able to bring all the different groups together uh, as we need each mm -hmm. other, you know? And so there we go. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, so my same architecture, because we know there's two ways people change, pain and insight. If you can change with a little insight, you know, it's- uh, yeah. That's awesome. You know, if you can find somebody who's not just an older, but an elder, that wisdom, it's out there. But I, I think we need this whole idea that, you know, in our culture, we take the older people and we put them on our ice flow and send them out to sea. We call it Florida. But, you know, same yeah. concept. Like <laughs> they're no longer awesome. useful. You know, we put them out there. But in fact, you know, we should be cultivating at all ages. Every age has a really vital, important role to play. Um, the young with their energy and their vitality, the older people with their wisdom, right? But I feel like our culture just sort of does a, it's not asking people to step into their authentic self at, at their station of life, right? And and so that yeah. really is the invitation here. So so that we're going to conclude that this is the public portion um, for people who are interested. This is the warrior poet way. Uh, it's a guide to living and um, free, living free and dying well. Uh, John Lavelle, thank you so much for that. We will put lots of links down below, but for people who are trying to follow you and want to find out more who are intrigued, where do they go? Sure. Type my name, John Lovell on the internet or Warrior Poet, whatever you want on the internet. The book can be found anywhere where books are sold. We're on YouTube. Uh, we're on social media, but we're so shadow banned and censored. Really, the only place you're going to find us now is Twitter. Uh, look for me on Twitter. And I'm very, very active on there. Instagram, Facebook, hate me. They just immediately bury me, shadow ban and stuff. So uh, yeah, look for me there. Love to have you in our fold. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for this portion. For people who are interested in hearing more, because we are going to go into some of the details about all of this. And uh, you can find that at Peak Prosperity. 
com, perhaps over on Rumble or certainly on Twitter. We'll put pieces there as well. So come by for that. John, thank you for this portion and stick around because we're going to keep going for part two of this.